when I was in high school, uh, I was a part of the football team. And uh, if you've ever heard of one of my sermons before, we were horrible. I mean, we were, we were really bad. And I still remember the second to last game of my senior year. We were at Parkway Central High School in St. Louis, Missouri, and we were playing. And I can't remember the exact scenario, but it was something like this. There was a minute and a half left in the game. Uh, it was fourth down and 15. We were down by a touchdown. We were at midfield, and the coach yells out, punt. We're going to punt the ball. And I remember hearing him saying that we're going to punt the ball, and I was so mad because to me it meant we were just giving up on the game, and we were just surrendering it. Unless they fumbled the punt, they could kneel the ball, and we would lose the game. And I remember just walking in thinking how horrible of an idea that was. Now, what made it even worse was that I was the punter. And so I had a little bit of control over whether we punted the ball or not. And so I remember going out on the field thinking to myself, we shouldn't punt the ball. We should run the ball. We should go for it. We're going to lose either way. Who cares if it's fourth and 15? And so I'm out there and I'm in this moral dilemma as they're saying, hike, hike, do I run the ball? Or do I kick the ball and keep the coach happy with me? And so the ball is snapped, and I'm still kind of undecided. But the way that the ball was snapped, I had to take, you know, just like two steps to grab it. And since I was already walking, I figured I might as well just keep going. And so I took off, and I was dodging left and right. And I think I was jumping over people, but that just might be romanticizing it. And so I was running, and I was going, and I made 13 of the 15 yards and was stopped short. And I still remember coming over and my coach, Jackson, what are you doing, son? You don't make the calls. I make the calls. I'm the coach. And uh, he was absolutely right. Where's Dick Hassler? Is he in here? What would you do, Dick, if a player did that? No. And I did not go back in the game, the rest of that game. But he was right, right? He's the one who gets to make the calls, not me. And, um, You know, God has a great plan of salvation. And the whole Bible is part of one big story of God's plan of redemption. And his will is carried out throughout the Bible. And inside that story are these micro stories. Micro stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our stories are a part of that story of God's redemption. And he has a will for our lives. Have you ever wondered what happens? Can I mess up God's will? Can I ruin God's will with my sin? Well, that's actually what we're going to look at today. If you would open up to Genesis chapter 25, uh, it's on page 19 in the Red Bible. We're actually going to spend most of the service in 27, but we're going to start there. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is going to be a thick sermon. There's going to be a lot of content. And so get your thinking caps on. Um, It's really, really good stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Let me open us in a word of prayer before we dig in. Gracious God, we come to you today, Lord, confessing that we are sinners, Lord, and wondering, God, will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord? Pray through your word that you would show us today the good news that you have for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We see how the will of God plays out in this story today. It's the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. 
And we see what happens when people oppose God's will, when people try to manipulate or hurry God's will. What happens on the back end of that? And so that's what we're going to look at. We actually have six points to go through today. And so it's going to be really good, but focus, all right, focus. The first is this, God's will revealed. Remember, Isaac and Rebecca, they were pregnant, or Rebecca was pregnant with twins. And when she was pregnant with twins, God came to her and revealed his will to her. Read along with me, Genesis 25, verse 23, okay? It says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, at the time in this culture, there was this thing called primogeniture in which the younger kids always serve the older kids, okay? The oldest kid. And here God is flipping that. And he's saying, my will is different than the cultural norms. My will is that the older son, Esau, will serve the younger son, Jacob. And with that comes a whole lot of blessing and a whole lot of promise because Jacob will be the head of the family. The promise given to Abraham recommitted to Isaac, is now given to Jacob and not to Esau. The promise that God's special presence will be on Jacob. The promise that Jacob will come, uh, out of Jacob will come a promised nation. And that nation will inherit the promised land of Canaan. But ultimately that through Jacob, not Esau, will come the blessing to the nations. Will come Jesus Christ. And so this is the will of God, that it will come through Jacob and not Esau. Now, we look at that text, and we kind of say, oh, I feel bad for Esau, right? Like, why did Esau get the shaft? Kind of like he's just a victim of a manipulative God. But we see that's not the case at all, that Esau actually joyfully and willfully fulfills God's will. We see this as Esau, throughout his story, repeatedly rejects the faith and rejects the Lord. First, we see Esau rejecting the Lord in the selling of his birthright. Again, you may remember Jacob and Esau are grown. Esau is like a Wisconsin hunter, we said, right? He goes out, he comes back with nothing, and he is famished, he is hungry, he is exhausted. Jacob is cooking soup, and so Esau says, can I have some soup, brother? And how does Jacob respond? Look with me, Genesis 25, verse 31. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am now about, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. The commentaries all agree that Esau is doing much more than self-preservation. That Esau wasn't going to die if he didn't have soup. That there were other options out there. What Esau is showing in this passage is that he had disregard for his birthright. He had disregard for the faith of his father. Hebrews 12, 16 affirms this. It says, "Unlike, do not be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And it calls him unholy. And so you see Esau freely trades his birthright, freely trades the blessings of God for a pot of soup. It goes on, and we see, and this is where we pick up today's passage. Turn to Genesis 26, one chapter later, page 21. We'll pick it up in verse 34 at the very end of the chapter. And we see 
Esau rejecting the Lord again as he chooses a wife. Verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. There's obviously a few things wrong with Esau's choices here. The first is polygamy. He marries multiple wives. But even beyond that, he chooses a wife outside of the faith. He chooses Canaanite wives, women who do not worship the Lord God, but women who worship idols. And he pursues them and he marries them, which is denying God as his top priority, denying God as the focus of his family. And so he trades his inheritance for a pot of soup. He trades his inheritance for some attractive women. He's denying the faith. He is running away from God. You know, this is a warning to all who grow up in the church. What we have done with our birthright. Let's focus particularly if you are in high school and you have been raised in the church and you have been raised in a place where Jesus Christ has been proclaimed, where you know the good news of Christ and the cross. You have been given a birthright. You have been raised in a community in which the gospel is known. What have you done with this birthright? James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary puts it best, and I'll just read it to you. You can read along with me on the screen. He says this, If anyone was ever raised with an abundance of spiritual advantages, it was Esau. Yet Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, just as many do today, though they have the advantages of a deep and prolonged exposure to Christianity. Are you one of these persons? Are you despising your birthright, choosing instead the savory but passing pottage of the world? If you have not committed yourself fully to Christ and are not going on with him with all the strength at your disposal, that is precisely what you are doing. You are an Esau, whom the author of Hebrew calls a godless person. Esau had no time for spiritual things. Are you better? Esau despised his birthright. Are you not like him? If you have no time for God or for fellowship with God's people, godless. That is what the Bible calls you. Wicked. It is wicked to despise such blessings. Pretty harsh. Hold on to your birthright. And go on both to the fullness of faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and your Savior. And to truly service for him. Esau willfully rejected his birthright following the plan of God. And the warning to us is that we should not reject our birthright, but trust in Christ as our Savior. And so we see God's plan willfully fulfilled by Esau, but we also see God's will opposed by Isaac. Finish his saying, a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's right. Some of you know, and you're very wise. A way to a man's heart is through a T-bone steak, right? This, this saying may have started with Isaac. You know, in his life, it actually, there's eight times that it mentions the word game, meaning animals, okay? And six times in his life that it mentions the phrase tasty food. And so this was very important to Isaac. So important that in Genesis 25, it tells us very directly the reason why Isaac loved Esau. And it says, and I quote, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. 
What we see here is that Isaac's appetite clouds his judgment in following the revealed will of God. We see this in the passage today. So we're in 27 verse 1. We see his appetite continuing to cloud his judgment. He knows that the blessing of God is to go with Jacob as revealed to Rebekah. But he doesn't care because he loves food and he loves Esau. And so we pick it up in verse 1. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. These types of family blessings were usually done in public. It was a celebration and yet this is done in private because Isaac knows the will that God revealed to, re, uh, revealed to Rebekah that Jacob would be the blessed of the Lord. And so Isaac is trying to deceive God. He is fighting against God. He's opposing God and trying to apply his own will that Esau would be the one who would be blessed and not Jacob. You know, it's amazing to see how Esau's appetite blurs his obedience to God's will. It reminds me of those Beetle Bailey cartoons, not one in particular, but you can probably remember the Sarge is always looking to see where Beetle is, right? Because he's supposed to be raking leaves or doing something, and he's usually up in a tree sleeping or eating a hamburger or something, right? His appetite distracts him from the will of the sergeant. My question for you is this. Does your appetite distract you from the will of God? Does it cause you to oppose the will of God? Maybe your appetite for food, probably not. But what about your your appetite for the American dream, for comfort, for, uh, for an easy life, for financial success? Does that compromise you following the will of God? And so this is what happens in Isaac's life. His appetite causes him to oppose the will of God. But we go on and we look at Rebecca and Jacob and they do not do much better. There is no one who ends up looking good in this story except for God. We see that God's will is hurried. It's manipulated by Rebecca and Jacob. You know, Rebecca and Jacob, they love the fact that Jacob is the chosen one of God. They love it. It's their desire. That's who, that's who they like. But they, they don't wait on God to deliver his promise. They take devious means to make it come to pass. They manipulate, they hurry the will of God to bring upon the blessing of God. Look with me in verse 5. And we see the plan that is hatched here. It says, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau sent to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So that's the plan. Jacob has an addendum. 
He says, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bringing a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Notice the driving force behind this story, right? The driving force between this deception is the mother. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day, right? (laughs) If you want to know what a mother should not be like, here's your example. (laughs) Rebecca. Rebecca tells her son to lie, claiming that he is Esau. She calls him to steal the birthright. She tells him to dishonor his father by exploiting his blindness and receiving the blessing. You know, Jacob is cautious of this plan, not because he doesn't want to do wrong, but he's cautious of the plan because he doesn't want to get caught. He's afraid that he will receive the curse instead of the blessing. But they go on to execute the plan. We see it in verse 15. Let's continue through 27. It says, Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. That's blasphemy. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And so you see, Isaac is suspicious, but Jacob is calculating, quick-witted. Verse 23, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he, and he bought, excuse me, and he ate and he bought him, he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. This is actually the final test. It's the sniff test. Okay. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. You know, Jacob and Rebekah knew the promise of God that Jacob would be the blessed of the Lord, that his older brother would serve him. And yet they did not believe that God could carry out his own plan. They figured that God needed their help to manipulate. And through sinful and horrific means, they decided that they were going to steal this birthright. 
Their, their means were deplorable and sinful and wicked and deceptive. You know, I can imagine Jacob and Rebekah saying to one another, you know, it's okay that we do this because God wants you to be blessed. It's okay that we do this. The ends justify the means. Where we get to is what's important. No matter what it takes, no matter how we must sin against God, the ends justify the means. As you go on in this story, you actually see that their deception tears his family apart. Esau threatens to kill Jacob. Jacob runs away, never again to see Rebekah, his mother. And so it tears the family apart. And we see that the ends do not justify the means. You know, it's interesting because we read here, Isaac is, is near death. Isaac actually lives another 20, 40, 60 years after this. And so the Lord had a plan. And it would have been wanted to see how it would have come to pass if they did not enter into this deception. You know, this is a constant temptation for all of us to have the right ends, but take the wrong means. Let me give you an example. We have a drummer back here, Adam Koenig, and he drums probably 95% of the time, okay? And we need more drummers, both to help Adam out, but also because Adam will probably be with the church plant in Appleton. And so there's ways we could get drummers, right? And we have a good intent for getting drummers. We want to bring drummers to help lead people in the worship of God. We could go and we could steal them from other churches, right? We could go and buddy up with people, take them out to lunch and say, hey, listen, you know, our church is the best church. You should come to our church. Come play drums for us. But you see the ends never justify the means. By God's grace, some churches have loaned us drummers to use. But the ends don't justify the means. And so is there anything in your life where you have the right goal, but you are taking the wrong means? Maybe you want to support your family financially, which is a great thing to want to do. It's an honorable thing. But you decide, I'm going to take shortcuts. I'm going to fudge numbers in order to have the money so we can take that vacation to Disney World. Or maybe it means working yourself into the ground so that your family never sees you. What are the goals that you have that you are taking ungodly means to accomplish? The ends never justify the means. So we see here, God's will revealed. Esau will serve, Esau will serve Jacob. We saw God's will fulfilled, that by Esau's rejection of the Lord, he fulfilled God's will. We saw God's will opposed as Isaac seeks to bless Esau instead of Jacob. We also see God's will hurried by Rebekah and Jacob trying to manipulate the will of God through sinful means. Now, if we ended here, this would be a pretty sad story. I actually wanted to break these sermons in two, but there's no good news in the first part of the sermon. But we see the good news comes down as we see the will of God going forward and we see the will of God confirmed. In verse 28 through 29, Isaac unwittingly affirms the will of God that Jacob would receive the blessing. Read along with me in verse 28. He says, may God give you, he's acknowledging that God is the source of all blessing. May God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. This is the image of abundance of a banquet, something needed to build a nation that God has promised. Verse 29, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. This is universal dominion, that the kingdom of God would go forth. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Again, an echo of the Abrahamic covenant 
which God says the same thing to Abraham. You know, a helpful thing in reading the scriptures is to consider who the first audience was of this message. The first audience was the people of God, Israel wandering in the wilderness. God had spoken through Moses to them that they would hear this message. And you're wondering, how would they receive this message? Well, there would be at least two things that they would take from this that would be of a great encouragement to them. The first is this, that the Israelites were God's chosen people, that despite all the sin of Jacob and Rebekah and Esau and Isaac, that their forefather, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, was God's chosen man, that they were to be the blessed of the Lord. And they would have taken great encouragement in that as they're wandering in the wilderness, wondering where is God? The second thing that they would see from this, which we can see as well, is that God works his will out through the sin of people, above the sin of people, around the sin of people. The will of God always comes to bear no matter how much we try to mess it up. God's will comes to be, you know, it's kind of like a little kid who says, Hey, daddy, you know, I want to drive your car. Can I drive your car? And you say, no, you can't drive my car, right? Because you have the keys. God has the keys to the plan that he has set forth to his will. And no matter how much we try to start that engine, no matter how much we try to avert God's will or oppose God's will or manipulate God's will, God's will will be done. The good news is that we lose. Our will loses and God's will wins. Last point. This is the coolest one. God's will embraced. Verse 30. Read along with me if you would. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. You know, in verse 33, there is very strong language about Isaac's reaction to the news that he had been deceived. It says that Isaac trembled a great trembling exceedingly. Literally, that's how it's translated. And so the question is, why is it that Isaac trembled a great trembling exceedingly? Well, I'd always assumed it's because he figured out, you know, he'd been conned. He'd been deceived. He was mad. He was angry. And so he trembled with anger, right? And and that might have been part of it. But it's so much greater even than that. See, I think the reason why Isaac trembled a great trembling exceedingly is because for decades he has been trying to oppose the will of God. For decades he's been going toe-to-toe with God in a boxing match trying to conquer the will of God. And at last he discovered that God's will triumphs and he embraces the will of God. You know, he asks the question, who is it that I blessed? He knows who he has blessed. Remember he said, it sounds like the voice of Jacob when he's blessing him. And even two verses later, he'll tell Esau that Jacob was the one that he blessed. So he knows that he blessed Jacob and he embraces the will of God and ends this statement 
by saying, yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac trembled with great trembling exceedingly because Isaac finally gave up. He finally conceded and embraced the will of God. We see that as we continue to read through the passage, he continues to affirm God's will and God's choice, even against the pleading of Esau. Verse 34 through 40. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. See, he knew it was Jacob. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, meaning deceiver? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered him and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Here we see Isaac give Esau an anti-blessing. It's a blessing, but it's an anti-blessing. Everything the opposite of what he blessed Jacob with. And you think, was that really necessary? But you see, as Isaac embraced the will of God, this was an act of faith to him pronounce this anti-blessing on Esau, his favorite son. Hebrews 11.20 tells us, by faith. Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob Jacob and Esau. And you're wondering, how did he invoke a blessing on Esau? Well, he gave Esau an anti-blessing because he finally embraced the will of God. You know, there's a famous quote from Abraham Lincoln. You may have heard of it before. But a, a gentleman comes to Abraham Lincoln and asks Lincoln if he thinks during the Civil War, does, he asks him, he says, you know, Lincoln, do you believe that God is on our side? And he responds this way. He says, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. See, this is what Isaac is realizing. You can try to oppose God. You can try to go toe-to-toe with him. But God's will of redemption will go forth. We cannot, the, the best thing we can do is to surrender to the will of God, to stop opposing the will of God, to stop swimming against the stream, and to surrender, to wave the white flag, and to embrace the glorious will of God. And so we see throughout this story how the will of God is victorious, even in the midst of sin, in the midst of horror. And then there's the good news that God's will triumphs. Let me end with this. Did you know that the will of God is our great hope? Did you know that the will of God is not our great hope just because he has a will, but because he can accomplish it, because he's not impotent, but he can finish what he has planned out for us? 
You know, earlier we sang that song, Children of God, which is a beautiful song, isn't it? It's a beautiful song, especially on Mother's Day, reminding us that as a mother loves her children, so our Heavenly Father loves us. But do you know how we became children of God? We became children of God, not by our own will, but by the will of our Heavenly Father as He carried out His plan of redemption. John chapter 1 actually says this to us very clearly. I'm going to read it to you again. Jason read it to you earlier. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, Jesus Christ is described as the firstborn over all creation. And the will of God was to send his only son, his firstborn son, to come to earth to take on our anti-blessing, which we deserve, that we might receive the blessing of God in Christ, that we could receive salvation, that we could be children of God, not by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but by the will of God, we receive the blessing of God. For the children of God, the Father will Father's will is to save you and to pour out his love and blessing upon you. And he gives us this assurance in Romans 8 that his will will be done. It says, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the will of God to save his children. We get to embrace it, to enjoy it, to live in light of it. This is the will of God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you win. Thank you, God, that your will wins, that your will triumphs over our will, God. We sing earlier, Lord, that we would all run from you, Lord. That if we were left to ourselves, God, we would continue our hell-bound race. And yet it was your glorious will to save sinners like us. To take orphans, Lord, and to make them your children, Lord. We praise you that you have done this by Christ. And we have nothing to offer to it, and therefore we cannot lose it. Because it comes completely from you, God. Lord, we praise you. And we pray that your will will be done because it is glorious. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.